Hello and welcome to this week's Net Strength Live. So I've got two kind of main questions today and they're quite big topics so I'm going to dive deep into them. So the first one is about periods. I find the first two days I can't even contemplate intense exercise and in run-up I can't lift as heavy. So just very quickly going through your usual cycle. So you've got four parts of your cycle. You've got menstruation, so that's actually when you're bleeding, that's the bleed phase. Then your follicular, although technically your menstruation is part of your follicular phase. Then you've got uh, ovulation that happens roughly around halfway through your cycle. And then after ovulation, you've got your luteal phase. Now, on a quote unquote perfect 28 day cycle, your bleed phase will probably last four or five days. Ovulation will happen on day 14. And then your luteal phase will run after ovulation up to day 28. Now, the important thing to remember around cycles, a female cycle, is every single person is different. So not everyone will have a 28 day cycle. And that does not mean that your cycle, if you don't have 28 days, your cycle is not normal. The vast majority of us, what happens to us individually is normal to us. And there are some things that potentially is quote unquote not normal. So if you're the, the days of your cycle, so the number of days in your cycle is for is counted from the first day of your bleed, which is counted as day one. And I always say that is the first time you see red blood because sometimes you may get some spotting before your period starts that often comes out as pink or brown. So the first day you see uh, bright red blood, that's day one. And then your cycle goes right round until the day before your next cycle. So however long that is, now for some women, it could be 26 days. Other women, it could be 35 days. Now, if your cycle length is wildly fluctuating, that is usually linked to the fact that you may or may not be ovulating or you may struggle to ovulate. So possibly you are um, suffering of PCOS. And that's when... Um, basically imbalances in your hormones. I won't go into PCOS today, but um, it means that your ovulation is not regular. And so your length of your cycle therefore is not regular. Uh, but for most of us, we have a reasonable regular cycle. Now a regular cycle can still be something that varies plus or minus a few days. So, for example, myself, I might have a 28 day cycle, then the next month it will be 30 days, then it will be 29 days, then it'll be 32 days. So it's not always exactly the same every month. And that is also normal. And because of that, I may not ovulate day 14 every single month. One month I might ovulate on day 13, another month I might ovulate on day 16 so it can vary and usually within a cycle your follicular phase so your follicular phase is really 
day one up until ovulation, but part of that, you will have your menstruation, your bleed phase. And then your luteal phase is the day after ovulation up to the end of your cycle. For most of us, our luteal phase will remain very stable and you might change it by one one day up or down but it is pretty stable your luteal phase your follicular phase is what usually will change if the number of days in your cycle will change so if you always know your luteal phase once you know ovulation you can pretty much guarantee when you are going to menstruate when when you're going to start bleeding now during your cycle so from your uh, day one so that's your first day of your bleed and again how heavy and how long your bleed will last will be very individual and again most of the time you will probably find that be regular and quite the same month to month but again you might have some months where you bleed one or two days longer or shorter or it might be more heavy one month than another month so again that can be quite normal now how heavy you um you bleed is very individual and it's stated that if you bleed more than 80 milliliters which i know nobody bloody measures their the amount of blood <laughs> but if you find that you're having to change your sanitary wear uh, within an hour, then that is considered heavy bleeding and that is considered to not be normal. However, you'll find a lot of women out there who, including myself, that that is true, but we just put up with it. Um, so if that is you, if you do bleed so heavily that you're having to change your sanitary wear for more than an hour and sometimes for myself I have to get up you know my first one of day one and day two are very heavy that sometimes I have to get up in the middle of the night um which is yeah not normal um yeah we put up with it but you know you don't have to so if that is something that is uh occurring for you then do go and see your GP and have a chat with them with the sort of things that they may be able to do that could help you. And there could be underlying issues. There could be underlying issues there, um, such as endometriosis, especially if you have a lot of pain um, or fibroids or something like that. So I do recommend, even though I haven't, I do recommend you go and speak to your GP, especially if, you know, Sometimes for some women, they bleed so heavily that it's really debilitating, not only in terms of energy levels and stuff like that, but also just that fear of leaking and, you know, how it can affect your day to day life. How it can it affect your your hobbies, you know, playing netball um, or your job? Um, you know if you've got a very physical out and about job but you don't have access to the toilet whenever you bloody well like being on your uh you know periods when you bleed that heavy can be quite frightening um so that's um so that's the first stage so what happens is at the beginning of the cycle you start to bleed and that is 
the two main hormones evolved around your cycle is estrogen and progesterone. So at the beginning of the cycle, both of them are quite low. And your flip, during your flicker phase is when you'll find your estrogen levels start to rise and they peak at ovulation. And when they peak, that sends a signal to your brain or to um, essentially release the follicle stimulating hormone, FSH, and luteinizing hormone. And they are additional hormones that are involved in ovulation. And then when ovulation happens, if you don't know, like some women can feel ovulation, they can feel like ovulation can happen. You have two ovaries and assuming both ovaries are working fine, you may ovulate on either side. It doesn't necessarily work in turn. So you don't necessarily one month will be left, next month will be right, next month will be left. Doesn't necessarily work out like that. Um, but some women can feel the ovulation because they get pain in their side. Um, some women may also spot during ovulation. But the biggest sign in which you can tell that ovulation is happening is through the change in your cervical mucus. So throughout the months, you have a change of cervical mucus. And all of that is, is basically related to being a channel, be, being a, a liquid, essentially enabling sperm to travel through the uterus um, very easily. So the cervical mucus around ovulation is very much like an egg white. Um, so it's, it's uh, thin, it's stretchy, it's clear. You know, if you've got it between your thumb and your finger, it, it would stretch. So it very much looked like a, an, an egg white, hence why it's called uh, egg white cervical mucus. Uh, and in that, basically, if you looked at it under a microscope, that mucus looks like little tunnels and it enables the sperm to be able to swim much freely, much easily towards the egg obviously to fertilize it now after ovulation so when the egg is released from the ovary the follicle that is released from um remains in the ovary and that is where progesterone is then uh produced so after ovulation where estrogen is peaking you then have a slight drop off of estrogen and progesterone then becomes the main hormone in your luteal phase. And in your luteal phase, that so estrogen is often considered like the exciting hormone, which is why when it peaks, it may be the time of the month that you feel absolutely amazing. And obviously, the purposes around that biologically is so that you recreate. Now, progesterone because progesterone is about making a nice nest in your uterus is about so during your follicular phase the the lining of of your uterus is thickening up and it's ready to accept a fertilized egg which will embed into the side of your uterus and then the baby grows from there of course, you're, you <laughs> won't have a fertilised egg every month. 
Um, but progesterone, you want to think of progesterone as like your calming hormone, your homemaking hormone. That's how I kind of think of it. And then just before your period, roughly around, uh, you know, up to a week, those hormones then start to massively drop off. And that's then to signal to your body that no pregnancy has happened or no sustainable pregnancy has happened. And then that's when the body then releases the lining of your womb and that becomes your next cycle into your um, day one again, to your, into your next period. But during that time where the hormones massively drop off, that is the period of time we call PMS. So premenstrual uh, stress, premenstrual tension. And it's usually that time of the month where you can feel, you know, huge amounts of changes in you. You're much more likely, you know, to you'll feel like physically you'll have sore breasts. You can start feeling some cramping around your tummy. You might suffer with bloating. Um, you might suffer with migraines, headaches. Um, you'll be much more prone to, to anxiety and depression, much more prone to like body awareness and a, a very much um what's the word like down on yourself like down on your body appearance I mean there is huge amounts of physical and mental consequences of having that drop off in the hormones and yet it doesn't happen to every woman and it doesn't happen, the effects of those, of the PMS, doesn't happen to the same scale as for every woman. Some women will go through their cycle with a perfect 28-day cycle, have reasonably light periods, pain-free periods, and suffer no PMS. And then the other end of the scale, some women will bleed massively. They will... Um, suffer hugely have monthly migraines cramping like real debilitating cramps um real knock-on in terms of their like their mental health and really do suffer um with during that time so pretty much like a week a month they are out of business they they're, they're just out of it they can't cope with the pain mentally physically emotionally and really do suffer um and you could be anywhere in between that now there is talk out there about how you should train around your cycle and it, you know the physiological aspects of say estrogen and coming up to, especially when estrogen peaks around ovulation where you would be in your peak performance and that's when you should really start lifting heavy and then during your luteal phase you should settle down and only do yoga or something like that now there's evidence it, the problem with this is the research hasn't gone far enough and there's research to support both theories that you should 
change your training according to your cycle. There's also research to say it makes no bloody difference. And the the, th- the important thing that I think comes out of the research is that it is such an individual thing. So for any of my clients, I don't change their training according to their cycle, but could potentially do something a little different or add in some extra things to different parts in the cycle. And most of the time, it's about looking after yourself around that PMS period, that week before your cycle, if that is where you really suffer and looking at what sort of things you actually might need. So going back to the question, find the first two days, I can't even contemplate intense exercise. And I can totally get that because my first two days of my cycle, I am bleeding very heavy. It makes me very tired. I'm anemic anyway. I'm terrible at taking my iron tablets. Um, so when I'm losing a lot of blood, it compounds. And I actually just feel sometimes like, <laughs> this is too much information. I actually feel sometimes I feel like my uterus is about to fall out. Um, and it, it just feels so heavy. Um, now, you can change your training. So if if really intense exercise is really something you can't contemplate, then I say to you, don't do it. Do something. Because I always think like whenever I'm suffering with any kind of PMS symptoms or on my just starting my period, I always feel better after exercise. But that exercise doesn't have to be intense. So if it means going to the gym and um, just doing some walking or just lifting something lighter or do you know what? Sometimes, especially if you're feeling overwhelmed, you're feeling quite rubbish and you're bleeding heavy, just getting to the gym can be just such a win. And sometimes you could just go there and go, do you know what? I'm just going to do my favourite exercises on my favourite machines because that is better than doing nothing. So when it comes to training around your cycle, it's always really, really important to listen to your own body and do what feels good for you. Don't allow it. I mean, the other side of the coin is don't allow it to be an excuse. Oh, I'm on my period, so I can't do anything. You know, like that 13-year-old girl, you know, when you were at school, I'm on my period, I can't have, I can't do PE. Don't allow it to be an excuse for you not to do anything. But at the same time, show compassion to yourself. And if you're missing training over two days a month, will it make any fucking difference? No, it will not. So do what feels good and makes you feel good. Show yourself compassion. And if you have two rest days, then so be, so be it. Or if you train on one of those days and you just go a little bit lighter, so be it. You're not going to ruin any kind of progress by, by doing that. Um, and in the run-up, can't lift as heavy so yeah so it you know during that luteal phase towards the end of the luteal phase as your hormones are dropping off you may find 
that you don't have as much strength. And again, it's very individual because some and it might even change as well. This whole thing, it might even change from month to month because some months I can really feel feel that and I'm in my luteal phase and lifting something that last week felt when I was ovulating felt really easy and in other months I don't notice any different so not only do you need to treat yourself as an individual according to how your cycle usually shows up for you it may not be the same every month so even month to month you might need to treat yourself as an individual compared to how you treated yourself last month and but um Another thing you might want to consider um, is if you suffer with a lot, you know, if you suffer with a lot of cramps, um, that is often related to the prostaglandins that are produced. And it's prostaglandins which are essentially causing the cramps. So one of the things that you can do is take uh, ibuprofen. Obviously, make sure that you are... Uh, able to take ibuprofen if you're not sure talk to your doctor blah 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 but ibuprofen being anti-inflammatory if you take that so if you know for example you normally your cramps normally start around day 27 if you start taking some ibuprofen around day 25 26 that will actually reduce the prostaglandins being being made that will reduce the cramping that you'll experience now obviously when you do experience clamp clamp any cramps do um do take some painkillers for you but sometimes that is a bit too late I mean obviously it will help you in the moment but something being a bit more proactive about it is is really good so what I always advise my clients to do is to track their cycle and see how that is against their training, against how they're feeling, um, like even their nutrition, because during that time you might get cravings, you might feel more hungry. Last month, uh, my PMS, I felt really hungry, really hungry. Um, but, I'd, you know, the month before I didn't really, and I haven't felt like that for a while, but last month I just felt really hungry. Um, so you might want to account for that and if you're in a fat loss phase you know there's a couple of ways in which you can go for it you could just allow yourself those few days to come back up to maintenance and just eat at maintenance and accept you won't lose any fat but nor will you put any on um, or you could double down on it and say you know actually I'm so hungry, doesn't matter how much I eat, it's still not going to satisfy my cravings. Um, so I'm just not going to do it. And again, you've got to treat yourself as an individual. What kind of thing resonates with you? What would work well with you? So generally then my advice when it comes to your periods is track your own cycle See how it makes you feel. Track it against, you know, your training, um, your nutrition. You know, do write down any pains you get and start noticing the patterns that are coming up. And then once you know the patterns of what's happening, 
that's when you can be a little bit more proactive. And then once you know, like, if the first two days of your cycle training intensely is just a no-no because you can't physically and emotionally cope with it, then you don't do it. And because you know that, because you know it's related to your cycle, it's far easier to be compassionate to yourself. You're not sitting there thinking, oh, I'm lazy or I'm this or I can't, you know, I knew I wouldn't be able to keep up with this fitness regime. You know, you just say to yourself, okay, these two days are my rest days this week. What can I do? Maybe go for a walk, make sure you get your steps up um maybe maybe do a shorter less intense workout maybe do some some yoga um whatever it is maybe go for a cycle wherever it is you're doing it with intent and you're understanding the reasons behind it because that is what works for you and that's that's the key thing that um you need to need to do now unfortunately when we relate that to netball there is really not a lot you can do because we can't change our netball matches according to our cycle and if we did um we'd probably we'd never be able to play because there'd always be someone uh on the period although um shouldn't you be sinking is that an old myth you should all your cycles sink within your team um but yeah so um you know when it comes to netball we can't change that and so it's kind of that thing well you just got you kind of just got to get on with it and it sounds a bit tough love but at the same time you can talk to your teammates about it you know which allows yourself to again give yourself some compassion about it but also you know it just kind of it doesn't give you an excuse for poor performance but it allows your teammates to get, show you some compassion. If you're in a lot of pain or bleeding heavily or, um, you know, you're feeling a bit down and so you're not your usual bubbly self, if they understand, you know, it's the time in your cycle where you do suffer, um, then they can help, you know, be understanding about that. And so it's really important to talk um about your periods I'm much more open about my period um now than I ever was um so yeah when it comes to netball talk to each other and you encourage other people to talk to you as well you know it's not a shamed thing we shouldn't be ashamed about talking about our periods um and your periods can affect you as much as that niggling ankle injury that you've never got seen or you know a, a, a knee injury that you did years ago you're still wearing straps or whatever it might be your period can affect you just as much as just as much as those things so and you're and you talk openly about your ankles and you know your teammates would understand and so we should do the same when it comes to our periods and the same thing when it comes to menopause as well okay so that's periods the next one I wanted to talk about um was just about strength training you know, a bit of strength training in general and a, a bit regarding um, progressive overload. So progressive overload. So when we go into strength train, so excuse me if I'm teaching granny to suck eggs, but for anyone listening um, who's, 
you know, never really stepped into a gym, never really done any strength training. So with strength training, when you're lifting weights, you obviously want to get better and better at it. And so if, you, you know, one of the ways we do that is by continuing to try and lift heavier. And this is what we call progressive overload. So progressively, over time, you want to continue to overload your mus muscles. Hence why it's called progressive overload. And like if you compare that to, say, running, if you, you know, put uh, training in for a 5K, your progressive overload would be running longer, running faster, and so you you know you hope to be able to run a longer distance for a, for a shorter time or a faster speed. So it's that equivalent, but in terms of weight. Now there are a few ways in which you can do progressive overload. The obvious one is by lifting more more weight. So if you were doing, I don't know, a squat with a five kilo dumbbell, and you want to, you found that quite easy. You want to go up then pick up a six kilo dumbbell and so on and so forth until, you know, you get to the point where you really can't <laughs> go any heavier. Um, so that's one way. Another way is by doing more reps. So the first time you do your squat, your five kilos, you could only do 10 reps. Well, maybe the next time you could do 11 reps or 12 reps. So doing more reps or even more sets. So generally when you're strength training, you'll have, a rep target or a rep range to do so you're doing your squats say you do 10 reps of your squats that's one set you rest allows your muscles to recover uh, and replace some of its energy stores and then you go again and that's two sets so maybe you can only cope with uh, two sets and then another way in which you can progressively overload is adding in another set so maybe do three sets or four sets um another way in which you can include progressive overload is by changing the tempo so the tempo is the speed at which you complete an exercise and tempo is something i really like to play with now with tempo you can include pauses which is obviously another way but it kind of comes under the umbrella of tempo. So if you imagine a squat, you start standing, you go down, you're at the bottom, then you go up and you're back at the top. So the movement down, the pause at the, or the, the bottom part and the movement up and the finished part, they're all the four stages of um, the squat. And every exercise has four stages for tempo. So the if you think, again, think of a squat, the downward face, you could slow that down. When you hit the bottom, you can add a pause to hold it there for one, two, three seconds. Then the upward phase, the return phase is the next one. And then the rest at the top, you can play around with that. So maybe you give yourself a rest or maybe you don't. So there's different elements of tempo that you can use. And all of this um, will help with progressive overload. And you can 
use a mixture of those to continually overload your muscles. And it's all about how much tension, mechanical tension you can get into your muscles. And when it comes to muscle hypertrophy, so muscle growth, a lot of it is also about the volume that you get as well. Now, volume in stretch training is the amount of weight multiplied by the amount of the number of reps multiplied by the number of sets. So sometimes gets confusing because people think that in order to grow your muscles, they need to go up and up the weight and massive. And I've seen people massively up a weight, but they can't get as many reps out. So if you imagine you did, we'll just work with one set. If you imagine you did 10 reps of 50 kilos of a squat, that volume works out to be 500 kilos. And you want to increase the volume. So I have seen this before where, say, somebody does jumps massively up to, say, 80 kilos and they can only do um, what five times? What's five times? <laughs> yeah. So they could only do five reps. Sorry, my maths really went out my head there. So five, they only did five reps of 80 kilograms because they've really increased the weight. Now that volume is 400 kilos. So even though the first set you're using only 50 kilos, but because you've got 10 reps out of it, the volume that you are giving, essentially giving your muscles is much higher and if you only did five sets, sorry, five reps at 80 kilos, because that is only 400 kilograms. So it's really important when it comes to muscle growth, you don't always necessarily have to race up the weights if the number of reps massively reduces. And I have to say, guys, if any guys are listening to this, it's usually you that do this. Um, and I have explained to quite a few guys, I've never had to explain it to a girl, but I have to actually explain this to a few guys where I've seen like them jump up massively, um, dead, deadlifts and uh, leg presses being the, the biggest culprit exercises of jumping up. But because you can't get out the number of reps, you're not actually getting out the volume and therefore you're not going to get as much um hypertrophy okay so that's basically um how progressive overload works and a few different ways in which you can use uh progressive overload now i'm going to talk about a back squat in particular just because this came up in a uh, a check-in this week so first of all they were uh, a bit worried of going up away even though they felt they could but they were worried about failing so they were thinking oh I could probably lift more but I'm really worried with having a bar on my back and big weights what am I going to do if I go down on a squat and I can't get myself up again and I totally get that fear 
Um, and first of all, a lot of that will come with confidence. So, you know, with a barbell back squat, when you've got big, fat, heavy bars sitting on your back and you're, you're squatting with it, it's quite frightening to start with. I took one of my clients to the gym and I made her do back barbell back squats and she'd never done them before. Um, and, you know, it's to start with, it can feel uncomfortable having the bar on your back. It can feel quite weird because, you know, your arms are back, your shoulders are back. So you're in quite an unnatural position. But the more you do these kind of things, the more you do it, the co more confident you will get. You'll know whether or not you can get out of that squat or get back up of that squat. But if you do go down on a, uh, a squat and you fail, obviously what you can do is just throw the bar back off you and get out of it. But one of the things that all gyms should have are rails. So where you are on the rack, they'll have these extra arms, long arms that come out of the rack. And if you put them because you can change the height of them. If you put them just below the point in which you can squat down to, if you fail, you can fall down and the bar will go on the rails, not onto the floor, and then you climb out of it. So if you are doing a barbell back squat at the gym and you are worried about failing, just make sure you've got the rails on there. Um, the next thing I wanted to say, um, and I've seen this a couple of times on a, on, uh, with a couple of clients this week, is when you're working with a barbell, um, most barbells are 20 kilos. And I'm just going to add this in here because this really pisses me off. You can get barbells, like I've got one in my gym. I've got a 20 kilo barbell and I've got a 15 kilo barbell. And a lot of gyms will have the same. They might even go down to a 12. And I'm not talking about the pre-made barbells. I'm talking about just the bar themselves. So you can, you can get 20 kilo ones, 15 kilo ones. And some gyms, and my gym has it, uh, 12 kilo. And they're shorter bars. And I see so often, and I've heard them referred to as the 20 kilo bars, as the male bars and the 15 kilo bars as the female bars and I'll be honest with you it really fucking pisses me off because when I go to the gym I use the 20 kilo bar and, it, and it's nothing because there's nothing wrong with using a 15 kilo bar and nor should a man feel inferior because they think that's a women's bar if using the by using the 15 kilo bar the, other than obviously the weight, the difference between the bars is actually the length of the bar. So the 20 kilo bars are really quite long. And so if you are a smaller framed person, it doesn't mean that you can't lift as heavy. You might just feel comfortable with using a shorter. I mean, you can get 15 kilo bars, which are the same length, but vast majority. You, you might feel more comfortable having a shorter bar because then you don't feel like the bar is so far out from you but please please can we stop referring them to male and female bars because I just I just think there's inherent sexism in there it, it just it really grates my feminist bones <laughs> anyway when you get to increase the weights 
on the bar. So when you put the plate, what the the weights on, they're called plates. When you put the plates on, most jeans will have 25s, 20s, 15s, 10s, and 5s. But you can also find 2.5s and 1.25s. Never fear adding 1.25 on the bar each side because it enables you a little bit more weight, which will give you a little bit more progressive overload, a little bit more volume over the week without fear of having to jump up by five or 10 kilos because they're the bigger weights you think you have to add to the bar. So don't once you get to a certain point, because when you're a beginner, you'll probably find you can start up in the weight quite quickly until you start reach, start getting close to those sweet spots where, you know, after, you know, a couple of months of training or if you're coming back from training before, after, you know, even a few weeks and you're starting to hit some really heavy weights and, you know, going up, you don't go up necessarily every week anymore. You don't go up, um, you know, even some weights, some exercises, you won't go up for quite a long time because you've reached now that point where it's starting to get really tough. And so enabling yourself to get a little bit more volume out by utilising the 1.25k plates on either side, that really does give you an opportunity to increase the volume. So improve your strength uh, and your muscular growth just by adding those smaller weights. So I just wanted to say that. Um, and in another way, quite an interesting way, something that I've started using with some of my more experienced clients um, is something called the rest pause method. And there's different ways in which you can use it, but essentially what you do is say you've got 10 reps of something that you need to, uh, in your program, you've got 10 reps of a squat. In a rest pause method, and I don't particularly like using it necessarily, it's much better if you have isolation muscle exercise like bicep curls or something like that, rather than big compound lifts or machine lifts where you're a little bit more stable. What you can do is do the number of reps you're supposed to do, then rest for, say, 10 to 20 seconds. So not take your full one minute to three minutes, however long it is programmed for you. Rest. You only rest 10 to 20 seconds. And then see if you can eke out a few more reps. Um, and you should, if you use that basic one, say, on your last set, you should be able to eke out another three to six reps. Um, and that's just adding a little bit more volume without having another set to do. Um, so the rest balls method, and there's, there's lots of different ways in which, which you can uh, do that. Okay, so that's just uh, a very quick overview of strength training and progressive overloads and how you can continue to challenge yourself in the gym um, without fear of, um hurting yourself or failing um you, you know don't don't be afraid of the weights in the gym 
Uh, I know it can seem a bit scary to start with, but once once you'll get going, and that's what why it's really, really good to have a good program and a good coach that can help you with all these sort of things. So even if they're not there, standing right next to you when you're lifting, um, a, a good coach will give you lots of advice about how you should do it and, you know, ask them lots of questions as well. Um, so if you have any questions, further questions about strength training or anything like that, then um, do come and uh, ask me and find me uh, on Instagram at Coach Leanne. And yeah, and come and ask me any questions you have about strength training. And unfortunately, you're probably more likely to injure yourself on the network court than you are in the gym. In the three years I've been training, or two and a half, how long have I been training now? Two and a half years, almost three years I've been training, seriously. Um, I don't think I've really injured myself once in the gym. Not really. Maybe, like, twinge my back on a ego lift of a deadlift, but with incorrect form. That's about it, really. Um, yet, I've... You know, broken finger, dislocated finger, done my knee, my ankle, <laughs> all on a netball court within that time. Um, so yeah, so you know, don't be scared of lifting weights um and and in the gym. And you know, fear of injuring yourself is much more likely on the netball court. Okay, that's it. Uh loved answering these. And uh if you have any questions, come find me and ask me. Bye.